Hello, Ambush, and welcome to this episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. I am your host here on the DTP. My name is Colton G, and welcome to the second episode of Stripes, which is our bonus show. And with that, some of you have already started being like, Colton, it is Friday! Friday is when we get our interviews. What is going on? Why is the world ending? Oh my goodness, why are the skies falling? Oh, why is Friday? Where's my interview? And to those of you, I tell you that sometimes things are out of our control and an artist had to pull out. We had to reschedule some things and unfortunately, that just that just had to happen. So we had to take a look at things that are in our control. What can we do? I plan on releasing this episode of Stripes next week on Tuesday, so why don't we release it on Friday so that you guys don't miss an episode of the Desert Tiger podcast. And then we'll just give you guys like a double release in the future or something. We'll release like two interviews on one day or release an interview on a Tuesday or something. We'll figure it out somewhere down the line. It'll work. Trust me. So what are we going to be doing today on the second episode of Stripes is now what you're probably asking me. Well, this weekend is the Super Bowl and... I wanted to talk a little bit of football, and some of you guys are going to be like, why did you want to talk about football after the Super Bowl, after the NFL season? Well, that's because we're not talking about the NFL today, baby. We're talking about the XFL today. That's right, the league has been revived after almost 20 years of laying dormant, and they are ready for their second inaugural season, I guess is what you would call it. So that's what we're going to be discussing today, the revival of the XFL. And we're going to get into that very soon, but before we do that, let's take care of some business. And first and foremost, you guys know, you, the listeners of the podcast, know that you are the driving force behind the show, the life force, the thing that keeps everything bumping. I mean, I'm the one that releases the content, but you guys, without you listening... That, that is what keeps the blood flowing through the veins here at Desert Tiger. And I thank you so very much because you guys know that some of the best ways to support the show is sharing it on your social media, giving us five-star reviews on iTunes that some of you love to do. Of course, the other option is heading on over to ilovedtp.com where you can go and get, and get yourself the latest and greatest in Desert Tiger podcast swag so that you can rep the show everywhere you go in front of your friends, your family, and even your enemies. Yeah, today's show is also brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering the listeners of the Desert Tiger podcast a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just head on over to audibletrial.com slash desert tiger and begin browsing the unmatched selection of audio programs available. Download a free title with your credit. It's of your choosing, whatever you want to pick. And start listening today. It's that easy. All you have to do is head on over to audibletrial.com slash desert tiger. All right, so let's jump into the XFL. Today, we're going to jump into a little bit of the history of the first time the XFL attempted to take a flight, attempted to become its own league, and we're going to talk about what happened, a little bit of why it fell apart, and then we're going to jump into what helped inspire 
Vincent Kennedy McMahon in reviving this league and hopefully, hopefully getting it a little bit further than the last time where it only ran for one season. Of course, I myself, I'm a very big fan of football and I'm hoping I'm hoping that this league can present different opportunities, more job opportunities, more opportunities for players to shine and show their abilities. It would be incredible. Of course, the Arena Football League, it recently fell apart after years, years of operation, and the AAF, which attempted to beat the XFL to the punch by getting on TV first, kind of rushed themselves to the out the gates and they ended up limping through they ended up going bankrupt midway through their first season and they didn't even end up completing the first season did much worse than the first xfl if you say and of course aaf was started by charlie eversall son of dick eversall who at one point was the business partner of vincent kennedy mcmahon in creating the xfl so what does XFL stand for? Well, a lot of people would stand to believe that the X stands for extreme as the league was originally marketed as having less rules and being more rough, having more hits, being less penalty plagued. It was going to be a faster game, but the X actually didn't end up standing for anything. The X didn't stand for anything, that's right, because Extreme, the Extreme Football League, was already something that was being put in place at the time. Yes, Extreme was the original plan for this XFL, but there was a different league that was already being formed at the time that was using the word Extreme within their name. Therefore, they just ended up taking the X, keeping it, and at one point, Vince McMahon actually ended up calling it the Extra Fun League because the NFL can be known as the No Fun League. Vince McMahon has been attempting to buy his way into the NFL for a long time, and a lot of people like to say that owning a sports franchise can sort of be like a club of some sorts. And I mean, Vince McMahon is definitely a billionaire. He's definitely someone who has money and is in a lot of these different clubs too but some of the people he runs with have also had problems with buying their way into the nfl look at the history of donald trump and the usfl back in the 80s so sometime in about 1997 the toronto argonauts of the cfl were offered to for sale to vincent kennedy mcmahon but Vince, at this point, after wanting to get his hand into the NFL for a long time and being shut down, decided he didn't just want a team. Vince wanted a league because he didn't want to play by other people's rules. He wanted his own legacy in football, and this was going to be it. It was going to be an eight, well, it was. The XFL was an eight-team league with two divisions. And it played a 10-week regular season with a two-week playoffs. What originally started here is Vince tried to buy the CFL. He tried up to buy the Canadian Football League. And after being rejected, he then attempted to start his own league. 
At the exact same time, Dick Ebersol, who is connected with NBC, ends up losing the TV rights to air the American Football Conference for the NFL. NBC has now lost a major part of their football rights. So now they're going to lose a lot of people who are going to be viewing their channel for these football rights as now someone else is going to be airing these games and they don't want to lose all of this business. They've had football fans watching their channel for years, so they decided they need to go into business. Dick Ebersol and Vince McMahon have been in business for quite some time at this point, so they decide, why don't we create the solution to both of our problems by creating this league 50-50? The WWE owns 50% of the XFL, and NBC ends up owning 50% of the XFL in the beginning. NBC was supposed to air two years of XFL football originally on their season. This didn't end up going as planned, and we're going to jump into that. So the XFL originally gets announced in 1990, and its inaugural season ends up playing in 2001. Like I said, it was a partnership between WWE's Vince McMahon and NBC's Dick Ebersol. It featured numerous rule changes because, like I also said, Vince felt that the NFL was no fun. He wanted the game to be sped up. He wanted it to have less politics involved. He wanted the players to be more characters. He wanted there to be more entertainment value to this league. And some of the ways that he attempted to do this was players could wear nicknames on their jerseys. Of course, he hate me. Rod Smart being one of the most famous, probably the most famous of these individuals. Rob, of course, would go on to the NFL to be a very, very talented special teams player. But at this time, he was one of the most well-known players because of his nickname. He hate me. He originally wanted to change this nickname every single week as time went on, but because he became so well-marketed, to change his nickname, that would actually end up hurting him because if everybody comes out and they want to see He Hate Me or they start buying He Hate Me jerseys and suddenly he comes out with a new nickname the next weekend, suddenly He Hate Me jerseys have dropped in value. It's incredibly hard to market. It wouldn't make sense. So He Hate Me ends up keeping He Hate Me. Some of the other changes that they tried doing, the opening scramble. This was a way to try and solve kickoffs. It was a way to try and solve excitement, I guess. I mean, I find kickoffs pretty exciting, and I love when they're returned, but this was something that was different. In order to get possession of the ball at the beginning of a game, players were going to have to scramble from a set distance to a ball that was set in the middle of the field. This ended up leading to one of the most historic moments in XFL history, and is maybe a very bad omen in the first iteration of the league is a player, Hassan Shamidin, ended up injuring his shoulder. He separated it on the first ever opening scramble. And this is something that the league ended up becoming quite well known for injuries. The league also attempted to change rules throughout mid-seasons. At first, there was no PATs. In order to get an extra point, you had to run a scrimmage play from the two-yard line. Midway through the season, they would end up 
adding a two-point extra point and a three-point extra point. Lots of other changes would also happen as well. But some of these things just didn't end up lasting. Some of them did, like the Skycam. The Skycam ended up going on to be used for a long time, and some players ended up taking their experience from this league, and they would go on to the CFL, the NFL. Some of them would go on to win Super Bowls, Grey Cups, lots of other amazing things. So like I mentioned, there was eight teams in this league, and they were all sort of in different areas. At first, they were trying to market to mostly areas that, A, either were large Um, centers of populations that the NFL didn't exactly market to, and it also included a few places that the NFL did market to that they felt had strong enough followings in. So the league's teams were made up of the Birmingham Thunderbolts, which originally were called the Blast, but due to a little bit of controversy with the name, mostly because there's been quite a few explosions that have happened in Birmingham in the past. The name was changed to the Thunderbolts, or Bolts for short. The Chicago Enforcers, the New York Hitmen, the Orlando Rage were all in one division. The other division was made up of the Las Vegas Outlaws, the Los Angeles Extreme, the team that would end up winning the only million-dollar game, that being, of course, the championship game for the XFL, the Memphis Maniacs, and the San Francisco Demons. Of course, with the Extreme and the Maniacs, you guys can guess that this comes out of the uh, cheesy power um, vibe of the 90s where comic book heroes were super jacked up and everything else, and a lot of also, like, prison and, like, unruly names obviously being used here the opening game of the xfl ended up drawing almost nearly double of the expected viewership it's estimated that nearly like 14 million people ended up watching the first game of the xfl but it was a blowout so nbc ended up switching to a different game of course the first game of the league was new york versus las vegas they ended up switching to orlando versus chicago because las vegas was beating new york 19 nothing and they were starting to lose viewers fast ratings fell by over 50 percent by week two and continued to fall they never recovered with this and attempted multiple attempts to change rules throughout the year, various just different controversies with players trying to gain as much attention as possible, and some of this attention ends up becoming very, very negative. So at the end of it all, NBC ends up pulling out after their first season. They ended up giving numerous announcers of the league chances to opt out during the season if they didn't want to represent this product. They didn't feel like it was the type of football that they wanted to represent. So Dick Eversall decides he's done with it. Vince McMahon, however, vows to keep going. He vows to keep it going on. But unfortunately, the league is just plagued with too much bad publicity, and of course, 
the perception of WWE and wrestling at the time wasn't exactly in sight either. So people were questioning the legitimacy of a league where the league owns all of the team. A model that isn't really used by most sports leagues and franchises where the usual case is the teams have owners. Which, I mean, in its own right, does create the possibility for less arguments and less headaches because you don't have to appease and make various owners happy. And I mean, everybody has their own thing that they want. But at the same time, it also creates the ideal of certain teams are going to lose and how do you improve those other teams within your league? Because if a team goes on a long, consistent losing streak, is that city necessarily going to continue to support that team? How do you go about bolstering that team so that the league is supporting itself in all different facets and every team can support itself? rather than one team doing really good and then the finances from that team having to help with the recovery of the other teams possibly losing money. Maybe the idea is, is that a lot of owners don't want to invest into a young league very early. Maybe the idea is that it's easier to sell a franchise to an owner once it has a little bit of a story, a little bit of a history behind it. But at the same time, in that regard, if a team goes on a consistent losing streak, the value of selling that team is not necessarily nearly as much as it should be capable of achieving. So, let's talk a little bit more about what happened in that first season of the XFL. Like I said, the Los Angeles Extreme end up going on to win the million dollar game. The Los Angeles Extreme also happened to have the league's MVP, Tommy Maddox, who ended up leading the league in both yards and touchdowns with 2,186 and 18, respectively. And it also happened to have the million dollar game MVP, Jose Cortez, who was the kicker for Los Angeles. That's right, a kicker was the MVP of the championship game. Something very anticlimactic for people who are looking for a high-scoring league that's full of excitement. Coach Glenn Halen ended up winning the Coach of the Year award for Orlando, who had an 8-2 record. Of course, the team that won the league, Los Angeles, had a 7-3 record. I already told you that Tommy Maddox led the league in yards and TDs, and he would end up going on to win a Super Bowl with the Pittsburgh Steelers as a backup to Ben Roethlisberger. Chicago's John Avery would lead the league with 800 rushing yards, almost 250 more than any other running back in the league, and would have an over a 5-yard per carry average. Birmingham wide receiver Stephree Williams would lead the league with 828, but of course his league was not nearly as uh, distance-wise in receiving as the league was a lot more of a passing league. Corey 
Ivy of Chicago would end up leading the league with five interceptions and two players from Las Vegas, Antonio Edwards and Calvin Kinney would lead the league with seven sacks each respectfully. A lot of players from this league, like I said, Tommy Maddox would go on to win Super Bowls. Some players would go on to win Grey Cups. Only one player from the XFL would go on to win not only a Grey Cup, not only a Super Bowl, but also a million dollar game in the XFL. That player was Bobby Singh. The XFL ended up losing $35 million in its first year and was a $100 million investment. And now we start to lead to what happened afterwards. Like I said, Vince couldn't secure couldn't secure TV rights for the league after the first season and things fell apart. In 2017, ESPN decided to run a documentary that was known as This is the XFL. Vince McMahon was brought in for this documentary in 2017 and during the documentary, he himself went on record to say that the XFL could work in today's football league and he feels that it should have worked. He still feels that football needs more excitement, but some things would have to change. Of course, we'll get into what some of those changes are and we'll get there, but what ended up happening? So after this documentary ends up getting released and actually ends up getting an incredible reception for the work that was done on it Vince I th- well here's what I think here's what I think I think Vince McMahon is a legacy man Vince McMahon is a legacy man who is in short words saying is running a company that was given to him in order he's WWE was WWF was owned by Vince Sr. I think Vince wants to create his legacy and he wants to have part of that legacy being something that he went and created and crafted on his own. And I think that nearly 20 years of having this failure on his back, let alone to have the media come and kind of point him, like kind of make fun of him for it in 2017 I think that kind of really pushed him to actually think about I can make this work and being 70 some years old I think Vince thought that there's not a whole lot of time left to do that and if he is going to make it succeed he needs to do it now so Vince McMahon ends up creating Alpha Entertainment He sells $100 million in WWE stocks, which actually has possibly led to a lawsuit down the road because some WWE investors have felt that there is a little bit of foul play or, uh, I guess, with ulterior motives, I guess you would say. So there's... A little bit of details in that background. But yes, Vince ends up selling $100 million in WWE stock to start Alpha Entertainment. This time, he's keeping the XFL separate from the WWE. Therefore, the businesses do not affect each other. I mean, 
I mean, if, uh, selling $100 million of stock do, is affecting the other business, but you understand what I mean. On paper, it's a less of an effect and less of a drain on WWE. So, the league decides to start up. It decides we want some... There was some good ideas in the old XFL, and there's some things that need to be changed. So what are some of the things that he decided to keep the same? Well, the league owns the teams once again. This model has become a little more proven since the first time of the XFL with the rise of Major League Soccer and other leagues in which the league owns a base of the team, and then there's basically investors end up getting control of different markets. If that's what's going to end up happening, who really knows? I guess we'll end up seeing in time. If Vince ends up deciding to sell each of the teams individually and own the league himself, we shall see. That's all in time. But for right now, the league owns the teams. And what are these teams? The teams this time are a little more spread out. They're taking on a lot more cities that the NFL is currently in or cities that the NFL has recently left or hasn't involved themselves in in a while. So the teams are the Seattle Dragons, the DC Defenders, the LA Wildcats, and the Houston Roughnecks in one division. The other division, of course, is the Tampa Bay Vipers, led by Mark Tressman of CFL fame, once a coach of the Chicago Bears, and possibly the coach in the league with the most recent NFL experience. So we'll see how that factors into things. Of course, the other teams in that division are the New York Guardians, the St. Louis Battlehawks. A lot of people feel that the Rams never should have left St. Louis, so we'll see how the city ends up supporting them, and the Dallas Renegades. So a few different cities, a few of the same cities. Of course, the league once again is going to be starting the week after the Super Bowl, right after the Super Bowl, they're going to be kicking off a 10-week season with those eight teams. And once again, it's going to be a two-week playoffs. Once again, there is no PATs. But this time, we're starting out with all three options for the one, the two, and the three extra points. Instead of just starting with the one extra point scramble and then adding the other ones throughout the seasons. What are some things that are going to be different? Well, we're going to have kickoffs this time rather than the scramble at the beginning of the game, which is good. The difference with the kicks from the NFL, though, is that on punts, there are absolutely no gunners until the ball has been caught or has been on the ground for three seconds. When it comes to kickoffs as opposed to punts, the runners are not allowed to start running. Usually, you're allowed to start running when the kicker starts going. This is not the case. At this point, you have to wait until the receiver, the one who is receiving the kickoff, has caught the ball. Then, everybody else can start moving. There's no coughing corner punts. That's right. You can't trap another team within the 20-yard line. If you get it within that 20-yard line, that's counted as a touchback, and the ball gets moved to the 35-yard line. This is one of the ways that they're trying to speed up the game, because if you can't trap someone back there, 
Therefore, we cut back on less pressure situations, hopefully cutting back on less punts. We're also going to be changing the forward pass rule. Before you could only do one forward pass in the XFL this time, you can do a double forward pass. What does that mean? That means that a QB can take a ball, throw it to a running back who's on the left side of the field, and that running back can then throw the ball forward once again down the field to a wide receiver. There's multiple different ways that this can end up playing out or working out, and does lead to the possibility of some extremely entertaining plays. Overtime. Overtime is extremely different in the XFL this time around, as we're going to be taking on a shootout style of how to close out a game that is tied. That's right, rather than the NFL where we go back and forth and each team has their chance with a full offense, regular football, instead of a regular overtime where we run a full quarter and then maybe go into shootout, we're going straight into the shootout, baby. Five rounds of two-point conversions. We're running this off of the five-yard line. Whoever ends up scoring the most of these two-point conversions ends up winning. If both teams are still tied, it's going to be a back-to-back-to-back-to-back until one of these teams ends up getting that two-point conversion and that victory. There is no ties in this league, which I think a lot of people are very excited about. There's a smaller ball. There's a smaller ball in the XFL. How is that going to affect the catching? Is there going to be more catches? Is it going to be less fumbles? How's that going to work? Coaches only have two timeouts a half as opposed to three timeouts that you would have in the CFL or the NFL or even the NCAA. There are no coach challenges here. All challenges are done by a league set group the coaches do have no decision in this that's pretty crazy that's pretty crazy let's talk a little bit about the business side of how teams work and how they were put together coaches were selected by the team by the league and were given their assignments because once again the league owns the team so they are hired head coaches for each of these teams they announced who these coaches were going to be and then the coaches were responsible for building their staffs around them and the coach also doubles as the gm there is no separate position for this in the xfl right now the coach is also in control of all of the personnel and there is no owner other than the XFL themselves in order to argue with so the coach essentially is in the main head spot unless the XFL decides to override them. The draft had five phases and was randomized per phase. The league would do a snake draft which is a fantasy football style draft so if you drafted first in one say phase one you get selected to pick first. Well, in the second round, you're going to pick 10th, and then in round three, you're going to pick first again. So it switches back and forth. It flips like fantasy football. So those of you who have played fantasy football, that would make sense. Those of you who haven't played fantasy football would have been extremely confused. The draft was ran in a online uh, 
room. It was basically like a Zoom or like a Skype chat room where basically everybody was on different cameras and they ran it through basically what looked like a fantasy football all styled drafting program. It was very anticlimactic, but the teams ended up building their teams. So eight QBs were selected as starting quality caliber quarterbacks, and each of these eight quarterbacks were once assigned a team just like the coaches. So the top, or what was considered the top quarterbacks available at the time, were not available in the draft, and each team was assigned one of these players. Of course, QBs were also available in the draft, and some of them did end up going in the first round, and more quarterbacks ended up becoming available through time in a supplemental draft that happened in November. So after you got your quarterbacks assigned, we then went into phase one, which is offensive skill players, your QBs, your running backs, your wide receivers, your tight ends. This went for 10 rounds. Phase two was offensive linemen, also went for 10 rounds. Of course, you usually get about two people per position there. Then we move on to the defensive front seven. That's your linemen, your linebackers, and a couple backups at 10 rounds there. Once again, 10 rounds in phase four. Your DBs, your safeties, your cornerbacks, the people who are in the back of the field, making sure that those quarterbacks aren't shredding you apart. At this point, each team has 40 players. Your starters should essentially mostly be there. You've got some of your backouts, and then we go into phase five, which is 30 rounds of open players. You can draft whoever you want. This is where you get your kickers, your punters, your special teamers, and basically players that are going to be vying for a position. So at the end of this, each team has 70 players. They can sign players from there. There's a supplemental draft. It's it's a very big process. So like I said, the coaches are the GMs. The coach and their staffs end up going through the drafts. But at the end of this first season, all contracts are set to expire. After that, or at the end of this first season, each team is set to have a $4 million salary cap that they are allowed to re-sign players, try and sign players from other teams, all of like the usual football stuff, but that doesn't happen until the end of the season as far as I know. There's nothing saying at what point does a team have the ability to re-sign a player or any of that stuff. So it's very interesting to see how that's going to work out because at what point in the league season did they get to try and build their core roster that they feel that they're going to build around for years? Who is going to be able to do that? As of right now, until then, players are sort of on a tiered pay schedule with the average contract being worth about $2,725 a week with only about 1,040 of that guaranteed. The rest of that money is based on bonuses on wins and other factors. The XFL is going to be broadcast on a lot more channels this time around, which gives the league a much higher chance of success since one of the main reasons that it didn't work out the first time was because they lost a TV contract and weren't able to secure another one. Well, this time around, the XFL is going to be broadcast on ABC, Fox, 
Fox Sports 1 and ESPN. Vince McMahon and the league's head, the league's uh, official, I can't remember his name, I should have written that down somewhere. That's my fault. They've also both said that streaming media like Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook are all also very high possibilities for showing these games, The showing that the XFL is not only being a lot more intelligent in their approach about their TV contracts and how they're going to get the product to the fans. It also shows that they are a lot more um, willing to adapt in order to continue to provide these games to different players. And I'm also curious as to see, are these games going to end up in the uh, WWE tape library? Because XFL games are in the WWE tape library. So I'm wondering if, like, past games, are these something that are going to be, like, maybe available on the WWE Network, even though that's a wrestling thing? I have no idea. How is this all going to play out? There's still so many questions in a league that is just brand new. They're doing incredible, incredible amounts with their social media presence, with their YouTube videos, with everything else. They're really including you in the XFL this time around. They really want you behind the scenes. They really want you to see the game. They want you to feel and connect with these players and these characters. And they're really trying to connect like the teammates and everything else. And that's awesome. And I really hope that the league can continue to build up on this hype, to build up on this positivity. Because this was a league that was shadowed and a lot of negativity the first time around. And there's a lot of people that are still expecting this league to fall short once again but like i said at the beginning of this that's 50 jobs per team eight teams that's 400 different people in football who are players alone who have a job for at least one season which would is pretty awesome so if we can keep that going that would be cool because there's only so many opportunities in the nfl the cfl and with leagues like the aaf like only lasting one year in the arena football league, which was one of those opportunities for a lot of these players is also going to be gone. Another thing that's going to be really interesting with players in the future is the XFL has stated that they are absolutely interested in signing players that are three years out of high school. If and not necessarily, if they've been to college to get into the NFL, you have to have been a player who has gone through some form of a college route, whether it's a junior college, whether it's an NCAA Division I team. The XFL, however, is willing to consider players who maybe necessarily didn't go the school route as long as they have good withstanding, as long as they have good personalities, as long as they have good criminal records and things of that sort. So that's also going to be really interesting, sort of taking an NBA approach of saying that you can just come straight to our league in hopes that maybe they can attract some players that maybe aren't as inclined academically and who know that maybe they're not going to have as much of a chance because maybe they're going to be suspended or taken off the field because they're not really having the grade point average that they have. So this is something that could end up giving the XFL an advantage in the long run if the league ends up succeeding. 
I man, I didn't actually think I would get this far on the XFL in one go. My goodness. All right. Let's get on wrapping this up here soon. There's so much more I could dive into. Who I think potential players are that are going to break out. Um, all sorts of other things. Just various rumors. What else is going on. But I think I'm just going to go into what are the games that are on the deck for the first week of the XFL. When those games are. Who the starting quarterbacks are. And... Yeah, we'll just jump from there. I'm so excited for this new league. And of course, as you guys know, the Super Bowl is this weekend. We have San Francisco 49ers going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. A prolific offense going against a damn good defense. And I mean, it's not to say that Jimmy Garoppolo and San Francisco's offense is not too shabby either. Because they can run right over you with that powerful offensive line that they have this could be a shootout game and of course right after that we might have some more football and i hope that it's damn good football so let's jump into what those games are going to be and who you can expect to see throwing the ball on saturday and sunday saturday february 8th at 2 p.m eastern time it is the seattle dragons who are going to be led by brandon silvers is going up against the D.C. Defenders, led by quarterback Cardale Jones. Cardale Jones had a prolific career in the NCAA, and he's still trying to prove that he deserves the opportunity to lead a team, and this should be a very exciting way to kick off the season. And also on Saturday, starting not too long after that, at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, it's going to be the L.A. Wildcats, led by Josh Johnson, the first player selected in the supplemental draft, a quarterback that was originally supposed to be a part of the XFL, but was signed by an NFL team at the time. And he's going to be going up against Connor Cook, a first-round pick. That's right, one of the few quarterbacks starting in this first week who was not one of the eight quarterbacks that was selected to be divided across the teams but no Connor Cook was the second pick overall in the XFL by Houston by the Roughnecks and that's going down on Saturday on the 9th on Sunday at 2 p.m eastern time on Fox you have Aaron Murray on the Tampa Bay Vipers being led by Mark Tressman. They're going to be playing New York, the New Jersey Guardians, led by Matt McGloin, former Green Bay Packer. And finishing off the first week of the XFL, it's the St. Louis Battlehawks. Led by Jordan and Tamu, another one of these quarterbacks who is trying to prove that he deserves an opportunity at the next level of football after a very, very prolific NCAA collegiate career. And they are going to be finishing off the week by playing against the Renegades of Dallas led by Landry Jones, and that's going to be going down on ESPN. All right, you guys, that is it for today's second episode of Stripes as we dove into the XFL.
L, which X doesn't stand for extreme, which I totally thought it did when I began researching these things. But those are the beautiful things that you learn, and I hope that you learned something here in this episode. And I mean, if you're not a fan of football, don't worry. We're going to be returning to our normal Desert Tiger podcast ways with our interviews and all those other amazing things very, very soon. Next week. Next week, it's going to be going down. But of course, I hope you enjoyed this nice little change up. And I hope that if you are someone who's into football, I hope that you give the XFL a chance. And I hope that maybe you decide to tune in. Maybe you end up finding a favorite player or a favorite team. Maybe maybe you just end up falling in love with the game. Alright you guys, as you can maybe tell, I'm in a really good mood. I actually had an interview right before I recorded this and I figured, why not just jump right into things? I'm feeling so, so inspired and then that's sort of leading me into like this really rambly spot, but that's 100 percent okay because that's just who I am and it's okay to be you. It's perfectly acceptable to be you and it should be more than acceptable to be you so go out be you and do awesome things and until next week bye bye